Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. I appreciate the privilege of being able to stand here in front of you today and talk to you out of the Word of God. And I just want to first just acknowledge, first of all, our prayers to our pastor, Pastor Earl, and the Bradley family. But it reminds me, too, that there are so many people who are going through things that we don't know about, right? And uh, through the week, you can hear other people's texts asking for prayers for their families and their loved ones, too. And we just want to acknowledge today those of you who are suffering through some difficulties during this time and this season, that we uphold you and your families as well in prayer, and we support you too. We know that the same plan God has for Pastor Earl, he has for all of those who trust in him. And God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you and I can ask or think. Now that's good news to me. Because my imagination gets limited. (laughs) I run out of options. But what that says to me is God is never short of options. So I praise God for that. I want to talk with you today around the thought of end times like these. That's a song we used to sing in the old church. In times like these, you need a savior. In times like these, you need the Bible. In times like these, oh, be not idle. Be very sure that your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. In times like these, one of the greatest challenges for us as people in times like these is when we don't have control, when we lose control, when things are beyond our control. It challenges us, even us as believers, when we don't have control in a situation, boy, you find us in an awkward place. I don't know about you, but when I don't have control of it, everything I know seems to be useless. My options are limited. My resources seem to be short. And I think when we are in this situation like we are now, a lot of people experience the feelings of being out of control or lacking control. If you're anything like me, you just want it to be over. Get back to what we would call normal. I don't know if normal was normal, but yeah, I liked normal too. Yeah. Amen. And when they talk about extending the the lockdown for coronavirus, it makes us on edge. It makes us uneasy. And then with all the unrest in our society, most of us get uncomfortable. And we don't exactly know how to do or what to do. It puts us in a challenging place. And I want to suggest to you today that this is not a bad place. It's actually a pretty good place. There are things in our life, in our environments, we can't control. Situations, circumstances, we can't control. Sometimes the events that are happening are beyond our control. And that leaves us in a place where we come to realization of how helpless we are as human beings. Even the best of us, 
When things are happening beyond our control where your money don't matter and your title don't matter and your record doesn't matter and your prestige doesn't matter and your name doesn't matter and it makes no difference, you and I at that point are brought down to the same level. Yes. We're just human beings who wish and hope that we knew someone who had the power and authority to do something about it. I don't know what it'd be like to be in a situation like this without a God. Someone I could call on. Someone I could hope in. Someone I could believe in. Because when things are out of control and I don't have it, I long and look for someone who could do something. Yes. Those of us who have a God, we even in that place caught helpless. What do we do? We want to do the right thing. But what's the right thing? We want to do something. But what is it? That we should do. So in some of that confusion, we end up doing absolutely nothing. The problem is, when you think about a situation that's out of control, especially as believers, I've looked through the scriptures, and I could be wrong, but I have found no defensive mechanism in scripture. I found nothing in scripture to tell believers how to defend themselves as a standard of way of living. When things are out of control, it's natural to want to dig in, hunker down, and wait it out. It's natural to want to put your defenses up and protect yourself. There are no foxhole strategies in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible that tells you and I to just dig in and wait it out. Everything in the book for you and I as believers when things are happening is an offensive strategy. It's an offensive strategy. So you and I, when things are happening like they're happening now, we have to figure out how do we align ourselves with God and cooperate with his strategy because he's going to conquer the world. We are more than conquerors. Is that what scripture says? We are more than conquerors through Christ. We're not victims. We're not sitting down as, as innocent bystanders. We're not passive. We have to figure out how do we engage when things are happening. I know it's tough. Today, I, I, I won't give you any particular specific things because I think that's left to the creativity and I think it's left to the person and the environment you're working in. And I think it's left to what you particularly are dealing with. God will give you specifics to do. But I do want to give you some general challenges that you and I have to figure out. What do we do during times like these? The situation is bigger than me. The environment, the conditions are beyond me. But how big is your God? Is he bigger than the situation? Yes. Is he bigger than the circumstances? Yes. Can he control the events? Amen. You and I are challenged in our faith when things like this are happening. And believing God is not a mental thing that you sit down and do in trying to keep peace in your mind. Believing God is an active thing. It's you knowing and having confidence in God so you can take action. Does that make any sense? The question for us is, what do you do? I want to read a scripture in 2 Chronicles. It's a familiar scripture to you guys, 7, chapter 7 of 2 Chronicles. 
And I, I want to just say to those, those of you who are scholarly and into Israel and those kind of things, I'm not trying to dig that deep. We could do that at another time. But I want to read this scripture, and I want to read from the 13th verse, uh, although the 14th is what's on the screen behind me. I want to set the context of it by reading from the 13th verse, because here is a statement that kind of lets you and I know in a general sense of what do we do in times like these. You ready? So in Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 13, God is speaking. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. First question some folks would argue is this is an Old Testament scripture. Does it apply to us? He's talking to Israel because Solomon had built the temple in Jerusalem and he dedicated this temple to God. If you go back to chapter 16, Solomon actually had a pretty long intensive prayer for God to accept the dedication of the temple. And Solomon, this, this scripture is in response to Solomon's prayer request. Solomon had several things in there, what he listed, that if we do this, when we do this and we get off track and we turn back to you, would you please hear us and restore us? Because Solomon understood that we will get off track. We will mess up. We will get it wrong. We will stray away. So when Solomon dedicated the temple, he asked God, would you please, when we get off track, if we turn back to you and we turn towards this temple, will you hear us and restore us? This is God's response in chapter 7. I hear you, and I've considered what you ask, and I'm making this agreement with you. When my people see the, the heavens shut up and pestilence and things are ravaging the earth, if they stop and turn, face me again, seek me, pray, humble themselves, I'll put things back in order. That's a blessing. It's important to know that this scripture is in response to the people of God. First Timothy says, all scripture is God breathed. And it's good for correction and instruction and reproof in righteousness for us who believe God. This scripture, when it says scripture, he's talking about the Old Testament. These Old Testament scriptures, according to Timothy, are for our example. So we'll know how to, how to handle ourselves. You with me? Yes. Then again, he says in 1 Corinthians that these things, Old Testament scriptures, were written for examples. That's Corinthians chapter 10. They were written for examples for us. 
that when we see, we'll know how to respond because God gave us patterns in the Old Testament to look at to understand how we're supposed to handle ourselves. Prior to that scripture in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, verse 11 through 12, he said this. He said, but don't be complainers and grumblers and all those things because he had given some examples how Israel in their toughest times, instead of taking action in faith, they sit back, complained, and grumbled. Come on, somebody. And instead of taking an action, because they grumbled, they fell to destruction. These things were written as an example unto us. What not to do. How not to act. But man, I can't believe how many complaints I hear from Christians. Whether it's Facebook or in person. Whether it's some chat on Twitter or whatever it may be. Christians who know God have just as much complaint or more complaint about what's going on than everybody else. I don't mind the world complaining. They don't know any better. But those of us who know Jesus... When trouble comes in situations of out of control, we are challenged to know who to call on and who to trust. And I know it. When bad things are happening in your life, it's easy to get distracted and look at the bad things that are happening and spend your time trying to figure them out and why. I can just accept Corinthians. Somewhere or another, the church has gotten off track. How can I say that? If my people who are called by my name That was written in response to Solomon said, when we, the people of God, get off track, when we sin and you shut up the heavens, will you hear us if we turn? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. Just in case you think it's Israel, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10 says, you were once not a people, but now you are a people. You are the people of God. You are the people of God. You are the people of God. I really struggle because I really think that sometimes church is too individualistically thinking. And we worry about what I'm doing. I, as an individual Christian, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm doing my best. But this is a we. It's a we thing. It's the people of God. It's not the individual, each individual. It's all of us acting together, whether we're in or out of alignment with God's word. You might be doing great, but the rest might be off, and you are part of the we. Does that make any sense? You might prosper individually, but right now you're still suffering under coronavirus, because not just about you. Even at the local church level, It's really easy for the local church to just think about them local selves. We at City Life are doing pretty well. Or we at City Life are doing our best. But the church is not just one individual gathering. It's the body of of Christ all over the world. So you have to ask yourself, what is it we are not doing well? You can't look at what is it city life is not doing well. You can't even look at it at, I'm not prejudiced. <laughs> you can't look at it like that. It's a we. It's a bigger picture than that. My people all over the world, those who are called by his name. The question is, 
When these things are happening, what do we do? Look at Hebrews chapter 12 with me. Verse 10 through 13 says some pretty important things to us that I want to make sure we understand. And then we'll get to some ideas of some other things we can do. Hebrews chapter 12. You with me? All right. Chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 10 through 13. Listen to what the Lord says. For they disciplined us, talking about fathers, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your hands, your drooping hands, and strengthen your weak knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Suffering has a purpose. How many of you know that? Suffering is not just because I've done something wrong and I'm in trouble, but God uses trouble to discipline us and to teach us. And the Bible says very clearly, when you find yourself in suffering, consider it God's discipline. The best question to ask when you're in a difficult situation as a believer is, God, what are you trying to teach me now? Where are you trying to show me now? Which direction are you trying to put me in now? Because obviously, something is off course. Trouble from God is designed to course correct the church. Amen. To get us centered upon the most important things. To call our attention back to the things that are important to God. When trouble is happening, whether it's personal or collective, or worldwide like it is now, it's because it's still God's plan and he's going to have it the way he want to have it. So he'll use trouble to bring the church to the next level. How do you know that? It's all through scripture. How many of you know the story of David when uh, he wound to deliver lunch to his brothers and they were fighting against the armies of Goliath? There are no defensive strategies in the church. When David gets to the line, the brothers are in the army. They're hunkered down behind the battle lines and they're sitting there dug into a foxhole and they are coming out every day in that same battle arrangement while the giant taunts them. They sit there and hope nothing happens. And at the end of the day, they go back and say, well, we did good. Nobody got their life lost. No one attacked us today. And it was on the day that David was assigned to bring lunch that he goes there and he sees his brothers all dressed in their battle gear, lined up in the foxhole, and on the middle of the battleground, Goliath comes out with the armies of the Philistines behind him, and he taunts the people of Israel. You don't have a champion. Why don't somebody come out and fight me? But the Israelites, dressed in their fine battle gear, are hidden and behind the lines, hoping nothing would happen. When David walks up and says, how are you going to just sit there and let this happen? Give me a sword and a shield. I'll fight him. 
because there is no defensive strategy. God can never bless you and I dug into the foxhole. You understand? There's no way you can advance the cause of God hiding until it passes. It doesn't pass. Got it? There was a young man in the Bible named Gideon. The enemy was oppressive, running over Israel. Gideon, because he was afraid, was out threshing wheat behind the wine press. And the Spirit of God came and said, Oh, man of valor, today I want to use you. Why didn't God just say, Hey, you know what, Gideon, you're doing a good job. You're keeping all your possessions safe. You're holding on to the things I bless you with, and you got your family's safety in mind. I'm with you. Stay right here. Be quiet. I'll watch your back while you gather. He didn't do that. He called him out of his, his, his cowardness and called him and said, I'm going to use you on the front lines to deliver your people. Why? Because there is no defensive strategy for the people of God. Not one. But most of the time, when things like this happen, we avoid, we sit passive, we just complain and wish it go away. We get with the rest of the world and say, why don't someone do something? But the future of the world rides on the faith of the church. God's plan includes the activities of the church while we are in the earth. And he promised to deliver what his plan is through the church. Is that right? Is that right? Yes. He did not say, church, just sit there and wait till I get ready and I'll take care of things. He called us to action. Right. Come on, somebody. Yes. This can get very uncomfortable. But he calls us to action. When trouble comes, according to Hebrews, you and I are supposed to take action. Don't just sit there, he said, but strengthen your drooping hands and strengthen your weakened knees. What happens to us is we start getting relaxed and passive and sitting back and letting things happen. But this is where we ought to gird up and become more involved. Not only should we become more involved, but we ought to encourage others to get involved. And those who are to remain involved and keep going. When the church was persecuted in Acts, those guys were under great persecution being killed. But God added to the church daily because they didn't stop. Amen. The more they persecuted, the more they preached. Is that right? That's right. Man, them guys ran for their life, but they didn't run and go underground to be quiet. They ran and went underground so they can figure out ways to get the word around. Yes. They put candles in the window to let people know a Christian lives here. They did lots of different things to get the message out. And today you and I benefit from the courage of folks in difficult times who didn't hunker down and hide. We do benefit. We benefit from it. Amen. We benefit from a Noah. We benefit from a Moses. We benefit from an Elijah. Amen. We benefit from a David. Yes. We benefit from a Solomon. Yes. We benefit from a Jeremiah, yes. Hosea, yes. Ezekiel, Daniel, yes. Shadrach, Meshach. We benefit from those guys. Yeah. 
Because instead of hunkering down and digging in until it passed, they knew they had to do something. Amen. Come on, somebody. Yeah. You understand something right now in this situation we're in that is really eye-opening to me. The church is nearly helpless. Not because of God's commands over us, but because our inability to really get creative. Because our being used to things the way they are. When in 2 Chronicles he said, If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I want to just give you some thoughts about how I think this might apply. To me, it's a shame that the church holds on to tradition and the way it's always been over the word of God. It don't happen here as much, but across America, you got black churches and white churches. Why? You got good Christians and bad Christians. You got biker Christians and other Christians. You got all these different groups. You got all of these denominations, and the world is wondering why. When the Bible is very clear, there's one God, one faith, one baptism. And the shame of it is, if I talk to a Christian about breaking down those walls, they will tell me why they should keep them. They will tell me why they continue to do the things they are doing the way they're doing them because it's the way we do it or it's been working all these years or, wow, that's the way I understand it. And we even got nervous enough to make the rest of the world think that the interpretation of the Bible is different for everybody. How do you get there? When we got one faith, one baptism, one Lord, how do you get all these divisions? I could show you in scripture where he said there is no division. And yet many Christians will still fight that. What makes us one? Christ. Christ alone. What brings us in fellowship under God? Christ. Christ alone. How did you get saved? Christ, Christ alone. Not by the will of men, not by the authority, not by your natural descent. The Bible is very clear. The only way you and I get here is by the will of God through Jesus Christ. Amen. The most important things in the Bible are not what color clothes you wear. That's right. Not how you dress. God can take care of that. The most important things he said is abstain from idol worship, Abstain from sexual immorality and trust God. But we fight over holy days and holidays and everything else. And we can't come together as a unity under the faith of Jesus Christ. When Christ says very simply, I've torn down the middle walls of partition. And we refuse to get out of our comfort zones for Christ. When he says humble yourself, I'm suggesting to you this. He means let go of yourself and your ways. Yes. You don't have a way that's going to save people. You don't have a way that's going to fix this. You don't have a way to make things right. Your ways and my ways are very clearly leading to death. Yes. When you humble yourself, you put yourself under the authority of God. You decide for yourself. God is right, even if it doesn't feel good to me. Amen. 
And you let go of selfish ways and traditions and ambitions. Man, that's the only way humility comes. Humility don't come because I let you go first. I open the door for you. That's trivial signs of humility. Humility comes when you throw down your ways. You give them up and you turn and take God's way as the way. When he said, make the path straight for your feet so you won't get lame and you could be healed, the path is him, his way, his way. I don't need to figure nothing out. He got it written down for me. All I got to do is first commit to that way. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I follow that first. When I commit to that, in that verse in 2 Chronicles, the words pray and seek his face are about trying to come before him and stand in his presence open and want to petition for his intervention in our issues by putting our own ways down. Listen, the church has been mightily dysfunctional, and I'm not down there because I grew up in it. It's what you need to get you to where you are. But it's obvious it will not take us the rest of the way. Traditional approaches to religion won't take us the rest of the way. It won't do it. Ladies and gentlemen, God has a kingdom he's establishing. That kingdom has authority in the heavens and the earth. You have an inheritance in that kingdom. And you trust in God through Jesus Christ for something you don't yet see. But you have confidence in that, according to Peter, that you will see it. And although it doesn't yet appear, you rejoice as if it's right now and present. When you walk with that kind of confidence, what happens is you stop worrying about doing benevolent things and start trying to institute systems that'll help people. The kingdom is systems. I stood before you one time and said, there's a health care program in the kingdom of God. Is that right? Amen. Healing. God's able to heal. Anybody believe that? Yes. God's able to heal. Amen. He got a welfare system. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world that dwell therein. He owns a thousand cattle on the hill. Yes. If God needs something, he don't have to ask you for it. He speak to a dry rock and get it. He got a system. You and I are supposed to help other people plug into that system. Toyota and Subaru give out food boxes. So, what does that mean? You and I are supposed to humble ourselves and intervene and seek God's face on behalf of whatever he wants to do in the earth. We're supposed to be a part of that plan trying to extend that kingdom. But some of us are worried about our own selves more than we worry about everything else. How many of you know God got a way to protect you? I'm not advocating don't wear a mask. Wear it if you want to. I'm not advocating don't stay six feet apart. Do that if you need to. But trust God. Mm-hmm. Yes. However you do it at your level, you trust God. Yes. You don't ever have to live up to me or anyone else. You have to trust God at your level. Amen. For all of us are moving from faith to faith. You start faithful where you are, and you start with what you got, and you start with whatever he has blessed you with. You quit complaining about how you got here. Amen. 
You stop frustrating yourself and others with your complaints and your, your concerns about what's not working. And the Bible says very clearly, when the people of God who are called by his name would drop your own ways, drop your traditions, drop your bad thinking, your religious barriers, your cultural and racial barriers, when you drop all of that stuff and make that less important, and you make him more important, Amen. and you turn to him, he said, I will hear from heaven. I'll heal your land. He's a promise keeper. He's a promise keeper. How many believe God's no shorter than his word? Yes. Now listen, I know the challenge. The challenge is, what do I or what can I as an individual do? That's the challenge. One, you keep your eyes upon God's bigger picture so you're not distracted by Facebook. Facebook don't have the truth. All those people who are joining in on Facebook, they don't know the truth, not all of them. Someone got a piece of it, but that ain't the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Got that? You quit believing all the things that's being publicized and you believe the word of God, yes. even though it may not look like it. You have power. God has given you power. Yes. But the power belongs to the one who has the faith to act on it. Amen. Find ways to get involved with expanding the kingdom of God, not just going to church and trying to do something benevolent. Do something bigger. Do something bigger than yourself. Yeah. Do something out of your control, well beyond your means. Think of it. Come up with an ideal that'll blow your mind and then trust God to do it. Connect with other people who are in the faith. Right now, tradition and church as usual can't work. You have to extend your boundaries now. You're forced to extend your boundaries. Find ways to do that. Stop talking about what I'm used to, what I like, the way I'm most comfortable, and get out of that. Get out your comfort zone. Tell God to show me what I'm not used to and help stretch me beyond what I'm comfortable with. Listen, you don't help African-Americans and the cause by just protesting. That don't help. It brings some attention to it, but they protested to kill Jesus. That don't make protesting right because you make a lot of noise. What's going to make it better is when you and I, even if you say, I'm not guilty of all of that, you just stand up for what you see right. And you treat everybody as brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. That's what the church was supposed to do. Yes. That's why Pastor Earl can be my father. That's right. Does that make sense? Yes. That's how you could be my brothers and sisters, whether or not you're black. Yes. And that's why I can tell you, I'm not bound to black, loyalty to black. I'm black. Mm-hmm. Can't change that. But I'm loyal to Christ. Yes. Christ first. I'm loyal to Christ first, not America, not Washington State, not Lacey, not the MacMath name. (laughs) And I love all those people, but Christ first. All you have to do is decide you're going to make Christ first. And my prayer for you today is that you and I as a church will get a little courage, begin to stand. God gives you ideals and creativity and imagination to use for the kingdom. I would encourage you to stir it up and let's get busy winning for Jesus. In times like these, what do you do? You turn back to the God that you know and you let the trouble you're in become a discipline, an opportunity for correction and spiritual growth. And you ask God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to show me? Then how do I connect that with other believers? What are you trying to show us? And what do we need to do? 
Don't go fighting with people because they're doing things the way they're doing them. But be an example and teach them. Help them to understand. Be the first crazy person to do something outside the lines for Jesus Christ. And watch God shift things in our favor when the church finally believes. Would you stand with us for a moment? I just want you to do something for me while we are in this worship moment. The worship team is going to play whatever you feel like God has put on your heart. But I want to ask you to refocus your prayers today. The primary point of this message is to call us out of passivity and tradition and let go of our ways to follow God. Would you just concentrate during this worship time? He's good. You say that all the time. I know it. He is good. But would you ask him during this worship time to help you align yourself with what he's doing? And to take your eyes off of the things that seem to be demanding our attention and look for the least seen things that he's doing, what he wants. Ask to see that. I dare you to ask to see it and know it. Because when God showed it to you, it'll put running in your feet. Okay? So would you do that during this worship time? Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 